Hello and welcome to this week's episode of 79th Live. Today I'm joined with one of our non-executive directors, Andor Lips. Yeah, well, um, good afternoon, Phil. Um, yeah, my name is Andor Lips. Um, you may um, guess from the accent, I am Dutch, so I'm coming from the Netherlands. Um, 51 years old, uh, studied geology, worked in mineral exploration, uh, but then later moved about 10, 12 years ago into the financial side, banking, investment fund. And uh, I think it is the combination of experience that also brought me uh, brought me here, brought me to 79th Group. So how, how did you first come to be introduced to Dave Webster and the 79th Group? Yeah, in some way, the uh, the company was introduced to me by an, by an external party uh, that was uh, basically uh, hired by 79th Group to uh, to look for um, new board members, and the um, uh, with the emphasis on board members that had experience in the mineral resources space. So that's maybe that context started about a year ago. And then obviously, gradually, I was being introduced to the company. I learned more about what um, 79th Group had had achieved uh, so far, about what Dave Webster had achieved so far. And that basically led to my, uh, my, my start with the company. I think it was in February when I was also coming here to the office and basically meeting with all the, uh, the whole team and Dave in, in person. And obviously, you've got, you've got a lot of experience within the mining and minerals industry. But what, what first attracted you to that? Um, at the early start of your career? Yeah, so I, as I mentioned, I, I studied geology and that was a bit of a, a wild guess. I was coming uh, out of high school. I was looking for some type of study where I could combine maybe uh, my interest in, in physics and chemistry and geography. And I, I, I basically picked uh, geology because I also realized that it would also include uh, any traveling. But at the end of the day, um, when I basically finished my study, I was a geologist uh, in a country without any rocks. And so if you're, if you're living in a country without rocks, you have to go to other places. And so very soon I uh, worked in other countries. And my first um, little job, it was more a student job, was in Australia in, uh, in a town called Broken Hill, where there was already 100 years of historic mining activity and exploration and I think that gave me the uh, the virus uh, to uh, to basically stay in this industry and to be contributing to the industry. And so, seventy nine resources. We have quite large operations in the Republic of Guinea now, and that's that's somewhere where you have some experience on the ground. Can you can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So that's already a few years back. Um, so during my career, um, I was I worked for the, uh, the the French Geological Survey (BRGM), and um, in that role, we were hired by a Japanese client to conduct exploration for their um, bauxite and iron ore assets in Guinea. So that basically brought me to Guinea in two thousand six. Um, trying to explore for bauxite in the large uh, license areas of this particular client. And so I lived um, in the bush in Guinea, in, a, in let's say, a fly camp uh, setup, um, uh, end of 2006, early 2007, basically to conduct that, uh, that exploration. And what's that like, living, living out in the bush in um, different countries? I loved it. Um, this was maybe the most... 
Um, maybe not so much the most remote setting, but while well, you're in one of the poorest countries of Africa and we were working in the north of, on the on the bauxite licenses around the town of Boke, which is also one of the poorest regions of this poorest country in Africa. And still, we, we managed to have a very good uh, good setup. Uh, basically, we build our own our, our own sheds, we build our own showers, we had, let's say, our own little power supply. And with that, yeah, it was quite a quite a peaceful and um, and and happy environment, including the relationship with the uh, the local communities. It was quite interesting to further understand what what was driving these people in these communities. So they had almost nothing um, where where people get get married when they are fourteen, and so this is a. And, uh, a Muslim tribe setting, so they could marry several wives. So you see young guys, 16, 17, 18 year old with three wives trying to run small agricultural business. And then yeah, I find it very intriguing that you are um, almost invited to work in their backyard while you come with all your infrastructure. You come from Europe, you come with all your, your kit and your tech. But at the same time, you're also dependent on the yeah, basically the same living parameters as as these communities. I find that fascinating, and maybe that is also one of the drivers that attracts me to the industry. You come to places; they are not always the nicest places. If you would go there, I always say, if you would come there as a tourist, you would almost ask for your money back. But the ability to work somewhere in somebody else's backyard in a certain cultural setting, yeah, is is for me is a very very rich uh, experience. And you mentioned that Guinea was, at least in 2006, one of the poorest countries in Africa. Has that changed or evolved at all, would you say, in the last 15 years? Have you seen any significant changes um, in the Republic of Guinea? Yeah, I think uh, Guinea is still, um, clearly Guinea is developing well, but it also has been behind uh, other countries. And so when I was there in 2006, um, they came out, uh, Guinea came out of a, I call it dictatorship from Lansana Conte. He was still alive, but he was sick. So there was already a bit of a, of a, of a power vacuum. Um, but basically when he got replaced by the new president and several, uh, let's say, presidents that followed, uh, sometimes with, let's say, a bit of a, a soft coup, uh, sometimes maybe a bit more democratically, at least there was... Um, more energy in the in the national system to develop that country, and uh, because this Lansana Conte had been in power for 20, 25 years, and basically had also um, influenced uh, yeah the country to stay in a in quite a poor and undeveloped state as 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 the way I how I saw it in two thousand six. And for your career, how have you been able to sort of use the science that you've learned through geology how have you been able, to, been able to use that to determine whether assets or land have value yeah so that if you if you need if you, if you do conducting exploration you're trying to basically integrate all your knowledge and all your tools and all the available information to 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 get a better view on what the potential value is in this land and obviously, part of it that is an intellectual exercise. Part of that is just being there, looking at it, almost read the country, feel it, smell it, um, talk to local people. But in that intellectual exercise, uh, clearly there must 
very often other people have been there before, have looked at it, but also have looked at it through their lens and with their experience. So things are easily missed. And many, many mineral discoveries that have been made have not been made by the first team in the location, but maybe by the second or the third, because you also learn from each other's mistakes. That doesn't mean that we're doing things wrong in exploration, but there's only so much you can you can do. And maybe I had the advantage, again, coming from the Netherlands and go, go, going to new places, I had an unbiased view. I was not biased by my local country geology. I just trying to get uh, the best understanding of any location where I was. And also during my career, um, as I moved, said before, I moved from geology um, first uh, for the French uh, government, uh, for the geological survey, but then into the industry exploration, then back to the financial side and basically trying to use all those skills, uh, not only from what is technically possible with an asset, but also what can be financially possible with an asset. And the combination of both, I think, have helped me to at least to maintain my focus in assessing these assets. So free for your career, focusing on all these different areas within geology and traveling and going to so many places, how have you managed to maintain a positive work-life balance? Well, first of all, I, I, I enjoy my work so that uh, that if, if it doesn't energize me, then, then I would not be doing it. So that is also part of my, um, my life is, is my work. Indeed, as you mentioned, traveling uh, a lot, but yeah, not all travel is, is, is fun. I'm not traveling always, uh, let's say, uh, in, in a very relaxed state. I just have to be at a certain place in a certain time. Um, but uh, let's say outside of that, I am a father of, of, of two children. I have a son of 10 and a daughter of 14. And basically spending time with them and also taking them along on, on, on journeys of just basically going in their flow of life while helping them to develop their knowledge, their independency, uh, etc., is uh, is is very again a very rich uh, journey. And what excites you about work with the 79th Group? Well, what excites me is when I so I, I arrived here in February, and what I like a lot is that uh, the company has a clear focus and a very positive drive. It has the ability to to energize and so not only to energize the team of 79th group itself but also to energize the market or or the stakeholders around around the company and that's something that i really really like a lot and let's say in, in, in looking ahead uh, in, it is a, this this dynamic environment an environment of growth where the whole company is 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 prepared for a journey maybe along several axes, uh, so the, let's say the, the, the real estate property side, but also the, the mineral resources side. At least it is clear that inside there is in the company, uh, people are, are ready to, to discover, to make a discovery and to unlock value. Where the discovery leads us in, uh, let's say the, the assets in Guinea, we still have to see, that is let's say, call it work in progress, but already to be part of that uh, dynamic environment is, uh, yeah, is, is a very nice place to be. And being that most of your experience comes from the minerals and mining background, how do you feel that applies to the real estate side of the, of the company? Do you feel like there is any crossover there when you, when you sit in the board meetings and you hear about what's, what's going on with the real estate side? 
do you see any any correlation between the two? Well, I see a, I see a light correlation. So yeah, you can approach it on a, on a higher level from an asset management perspective. And what these assets are, okay, they can be different. Clearly, the opportunity to um, try and unlock value in these assets um, is the same. And but then the plan or the action plan to try and unlock that value is probably different. So let's say on the highest level, I can see that correlation, and I am very interested to hear. Uh, about let's say the uh, the property side of the business, but when it comes to let's say the action plan um, of unlocking value in these assets, then I yeah I rather contribute my knowledge on on addressing the um, the resource assets. So where do you see the company in five years time? Well, good, very good question. Um, given the drive, uh, I, I would say it it will it will achieve some of its goals. Um, but I don't know if the company has set any fixed goals at the, at the horizon, but clearly growing, being more significant, and again, so unlocking value in its assets, and it cannot be all of the assets, but be after that being selective on how to further develop these assets, that is certainly something that uh, the 79th group will achieve. Okay, well, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast today, Andor. Uh, it's been great speaking to you, and hopefully we'll get you back on the podcast sometime soon. Yeah, looking forward to come back. And again, we uh, on, in Guinea, we are embarking on a, on a longer journey. This is not something that you can resolve in a few days. And so I'm, I'm, I'm certain that, let's say, in six months or, or 12 months, we, uh, we are able to update uh, the audience on uh, the developments in Guinea. Perfect. Well, thanks again for joining us. Um, yeah, we'll get you. We'll get you on soon for sure. Okay. Thanks, Phil.